Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. It's part two of the grand return of Fan Friday via the Locker Room app. I'm Gavin Shaw. He's Alex Wolf. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, Alex. A little draft, a little trade. What, what are we getting into today? Yeah, a, a little bit of everything. Uh, Devontae Graham, whether he should be a target for the Knicks at the trade deadline. Kind of an underreported target there and, and a potentially intriguing one, though we talk about some maybe some overlap issues with him. Uh, whether the Knicks should target Sharif Cooper in the draft, a, a definitely a name we've heard before. We talk about whether the Knicks got good too soon, you know, if they if this sort of resurgence came just one year before it should have. But, you know, we get into the debate of almost like the ethics of that. Uh, we talk about whether Julius Randle's minutes are too much, you know, if he's being overworked and if it's potentially setting him up for uh, you know, an injury or something of that nature. And we get back into one of our top discussions from the offseason, what the Knicks should do with Mitch and whether his payday coming this summer should scare them or not. Uh, and, and, you know, what the path should be with Mitch. So all that's coming up on this second edition of Fan Friday. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team Every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. on Knicks. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me, well, next week, because you already joined me this week, on Friday. We're probably going to do around 5.30 again, but we'll let you guys know on social media to get in on all the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. I'm Gavin Shaw. He's Alex Wolf. Once again, this is Locked On Knicks, the number one New York Knicks podcast. Definitely the number one daily, arguably number one overall. There's some good competition out there. I am a play-by-play broadcaster in non-pandemic times, but during this ongoing apocalypse, I'm a meager podcast host, but I'm joined by my much more accomplished co-host, Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the, and this there's no debate about, the greatest Knicks site in the world, the Strickland, and we are going to continue with our Fan Friday. I know it's a Sunday, bear with me, uh, dates are confusing, but we recorded on a Friday, um, and we took some great questions from some great fans, and without further ado, let's get into it. All right, we're going to try Marcus again. We got Marcus Gerald again last time. Either had technical issues or, or the phone, he didn't have his phone on or something. Let's see. All right, Marcus, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. How's it going? Perfect, perfect. That was deeply sad when you guys couldn't hear me before. Oh, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> um, I just want to get you guys' opinions on two potential guards, one yes. who we could possibly trade for at the deadline and another guy in the draft. Um, first guy is Devontae Graham, who I am not just surprised but shocked about the lack of discussion uh, around the trade around him. You're talking about a guy who was almost, who should have been most improved player of the year, a far better three-point shot creator than Lonzo or um, Oladipo. And I'm not quite sure how the Hornets value him. I have a lot of Hornets fans as friends. But once LaMelo came, it was kind of just, uh, by Devontae Graham. And I think if you could get him for cheap, 
that's a must get. Yeah, I uh, I would say I sort of agree with you to a degree. This would be my one question for you because I, I thought about him too. His his name came up in some some rumor. I I forget who dropped his name. Might have been Bagley dropped his name uh, the one day, but his his name did come up at some point. Maybe not even necessarily as as someone that's like a hundred percent linked to the Knicks, but someone that could be a, a potential target. But, but what do you think about? You know, essentially the reason that he is upset in Charlotte right now, it seems like, is that he's been supplanted by LaMelo Ball, and they still have Rozier, who's having, like, a career year this year, which, by the way, you want to talk about, like, guys that I've gotten completely wrong. I would not have touched Rozier with a 10-foot pole, like, <laughs> two years ago, and now he's, like, an efficient 20-point scorer. Yeah. So, good good job, Charlotte. But, um, you know, he's kind of gotten stranded in a, a crowded rotation there. Do you think he might run into some of the same problems here behind, you know, you know Derrick Rose is still going to get his playing time. You know Emmanuel Quickly is still going to get his playing time. You know, do you think that he and Quickly could coexist on the court together? Because that would be my main worry is can you trot out two undersized, like, pseudo point guard, combo guard guys out there at the same time? Or, like, would they have to play, would they have to have, like, mutually exclusive minutes? You know, because that, that would be the main thing. And if it can't, it, obviously, if it comes down to quickly or Graham, I'm all about quickly, like 100%, because I think his ceiling's higher. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, anybody over Alfred at this point, but <laughs> for sure. That kind of just is what it is. <laughs> uh, I mean, Devontae Graham, to me, as a playmaker, he's not ever going to be this great, great playmaker. He's kind of more of an advanced version of what quickly is right now. But I mean, sure, I don't see why not. I mean, there's a lot of guards who play together, and those two together as three point shot creators could really really juice up the offense for sure and yeah yeah it means giving up Obi. i mean ob and Lamelo sounds i get that they need rim protection but that would be the perfect situation for ob is in charlotte yeah i think i think my only counter is is how inefficient he is from from two-point range i mean right now he's shooting 36 percent from three and 36 yeah. percent from two and i think last year he was at like or, or rather well 36 percent overall so somewhere around 36 percent from two but um I yeah, and and last year it was it was very similar with him. So I think between him and Ob, you want so I mean, and obviously, or excuse me, not him and Ob. Between him and Quickly, you want some kind of balance there. And obviously, look like IQ is still pretty young, Graham's still pretty young. They could both get better in that capacity. Like like if you want to look at another Charlotte guard, Kemba is a guy early in his career, like, suck 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 at oh no, it wasn't that finish. He was like I think he was like an iffy finisher, bad three point shooter. Obviously, got really 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 good. Um, I just I'm kind of with Alex. I think there's a little bit too much stylistic overlap, though. Though I hear your point. I mean, obviously, you look at guys like Dan and CJ, and the best version of that works. I, I just think if you have two undersized guards, who like I'm not I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on Graham's defense from from what I understand. He's like slightly below average on that end of the floor. But when you when you have two like undersized guards who like at least at this point like aren't super defensively inclined, aren't like physical in the paint scores. Um, in Graham's case, not a not a huge free throw shooter. Probably underrated as a passer. He did average seven assists last year. Um, I I just I don't know. Like I, I think that like puts a little bit of a ceiling on your team. But it, it all comes down to the price, right? If, if you're saying, all right, we know Obi isn't going to be part of our future. Let's go grab Graham. He could be a six man. We could play him with quickly a little bit. We could kind of get someone like Lonzo next year, who maybe matches up better with both of them, and get get him run with both of those two players. There's there's a way as like a pure asset play that it works. 
I, I just don't know if it's my dream fit. But but what do you what do you think about that, Marcus? Um, no, hundred percent. I mean, I agree for sure. Um, the next guy I want to bring up, we may have the same uh, disagreements about because he's for sure undersized, and that is Sharif Cooper, who I think is the perfect Thibodeau guy. He can create in the half in the half court. He can take guys off the dribble. He's a willing shooter. I know that the percentages are low this year, but he's willing to do it. And that's kind of what we thought about LaMelo. Said, you know, he's going to have low shooting percentages, but he came in and he's on fire because he's willing to shoot. And I think a guy like Sharif Cooper, the fact that he may not even be a top 12 pick just because of how strong this draft class is, is just lines up perfectly for us. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm gonna reiterate the same thing. I mean, Jake, Jake Rosen and or or I mean, or I guess I, I think the same thing is what you just said, Marcus. Um, we we had Jake Rosen, we had PD Webb on, like two two great draft guys on our podcast, and and we asked them like if there was one guy in this draft outside of Kate Cunningham you'd add to this Knicks team, who would it be? And they they both said Sharif Cooper. So I mm-hmm. I think my inclination just again I, w- I would have been talking on my ass because I I just I have avoided college basketball this year. Um, oh, I hate but, it. It's okay. Yeah, it's but fine. it seems like I mean, but I remember I, I watched him at a tournament in high school, and I was I was blown away by him, and, and just the fact that they've kind of confirmed everything I was seeing from him in high school that he's this guy who like you, you just cannot keep out of the lane, brilliant passer, and, and and to their point and to your point, like it's it's extremely rare that young guards are like high level off the dribble three point shooters. That's that's kind of what made Trey Young out of Oklahoma such a freak and such an outlier. And, and even with him. People were blowing it up a little bit. He was something like 36% in college. Like, if you can be anywhere, like, even even borderline efficient, um, shooting a bunch of, like, high degree of difficulty threes, it's like an 18-year-old playing against older guys. Like, that's, that's a really good sign for your future. And I, I think just from a pure talent perspective, I would take him over someone like Graham and say, look, even if him and Quickly, just in terms of archetype, aren't really an ideal fit next to each other, if you think he has star potential, and if you're the Knicks and you're picking like 12, 13, 14, like just 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 go get him and, and make yeah. it work later. And they're both good enough and smart enough that 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 can work. But Alex, I, I cut you off. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was I was just gonna say uh, more or less the same thing. I was also gonna bring up the fact that two people with no, you know, uh, communication between them both said Sharif Cooper is the guy that I would add to the Knicks uh, if I could pick <laughs> one person other than Kate Cunningham. So. You know, I, I'm kind of in agreement, too. I I would be lying also if I said that I've watched a ton yet. I don't really switch into draft mode until after the season's over. Although, you know, I try to keep up with the tournament a little bit, but it's too much to keep up with during the season. But from what I understand from his game, it sounds like he's sort of a almost like a, a slightly shorter best version of Rondo in a way and that he's yeah. really with his jump shot, but... I mean, he, he'll harass you on defense like no other. He'll, uh, you know, he can pass to anybody anywhere on the floor, like, at will. Um, yeah, and ultimately, and, I think that's that's really what we need. I mean, I love quickly. I hope that he becomes that point guard. But I just don't think his playmaking ceiling is nearly as high as uh, as Cooper's. I agree. And I think part of what makes, you know, I guess, I guess that depends, too. Like, do you want to start maybe weaning Randall off of having to be the – you know, number one playmaker also maybe to save his legs a little more, you know, to, to allow him to get back into role man situations in the pick and roll, which he was actually quite good at in new Orleans. Not that there's like anything to complain about with how he's played this year, but, you know, maybe taking him out of um, the primary initiating role as often as he's in it gives him more legs late in games on some of those ones where he has to play like 45 minutes and he's gassed at the end of the game. 
And, you know, we haven't seen one in a while. Like, he seems to have somehow gotten in better shape as the season goes on and gotten less tired. Um, but, you know, we would see early in the season where sometimes he just totally gassed down the stretch and it was hard for him to, you know, still have his legs under his jump shot at the end of the game and stuff like that. Um, so maybe that starts freeing up opportunities to then, you know, have, have Randall not have to be the guy on the ball all the time. Um, and, and, you know, then quickly can still do his thing from time to time. RJ can still do his thing when he wants to. And then you have Cooper out there just kind of as the main guy to set everybody up, set the table most of the time down the floor. I'm intrigued by it. Um, I want to watch more of him because, you know, again, this is now the third time I've heard his name come up in relation to like, wouldn't he be perfect for the Knicks? And I, yep. I can't give like a definitive answer because I haven't watched enough, but my inclination is yes, I, I could see that working out. Um, I also wanted to, I also wanted to shout out uh, uh, Joseph, who was on a minute ago and Omar, who was on a minute ago, both said that they liked, uh, they liked the Devante Graham pick. So you got support in the comments there. All right. That's, I mean, that's perfect. That's, as long as Knicks Nation is together, then I'm with it. Yeah. <laughs> all, all Knicks Nation in our in our little corner here. <laughs> all right. All right. We'll, 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 we'll call it in. We'll call it in. <laughs> anyway, um, Marcus, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, say before we, we move to the last couple people here? Uh, no. I mean, you guys can follow me at Carl Reidner on Twitter. I usually just rant about the Giants and the Knicks. And awesome. yeah, I mean, quick shout out to uh, Locked On Giants. That's actually how I found you guys. Oh, Patricia cool. Trainer. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, we had, we had her. We had her on. I think. Or... Yeah, no, that was that was uh, the best podcast for sure. It was oh, the cool. ultimate crossover. Marcus, so it you was know, really about fun. Kenny Galladay potentially. I have been stressing for the past twenty four hours since he's been since yeah. he's been in New York, and I, I cannot would... stop stressing. I still, I, I hope that doesn't. I, I still want them, even if they get him. I hope they, I hope they take a wide receiver and they go. Oh yeah, oh yeah. If, if, I, I really, I would, I would die if they got Kyle Pitts. But anyways, anyways, different, yeah. different locker room. But <laughs> of course, of course. Thanks, Marcus. All right, we'll be right back to continue Fan Friday, but get all the sports news you need in under twenty minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts, even us sometimes. I got to go on there once. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. And now we continue with our Fan Friday discussion. So, all right. Uh, you know what? I'm going to take real quick before we move to the next speaker. I'm just going to, Gavin, we got one uh, question on Twitter from someone who is in Israel, I believe, oh, they cool. couldn't make it couldn't make it on, you know, so he, he asked if we could discuss his topic real quick here. Sure. Uh, Carl B at uh, Oketz1 said, like many other Nick fans, took me time to come around to Randall being the all-star we're seeing today. Problem now is we have no one to back him up. If he goes down, our season is over. Do we trade for more depth at the four or sell Randall and tank? And then also... Uh, on the same topic, I'd like to add, I love the fact that we have a fun team and things are looking up. I just wish that they could have waited one more season. Uh, these There aren't as many good potential free agents to impress. So this offseason is more about the lottery IMO. Uh, we would have been better off tanking and building for next season. I feel like that one's going to resonate with you guys. Yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, time. I mean, look, look, he's from he's from, from the Jewish homeland. And, and he has, 
has a similar sense of mind on, on the tanking front. I wonder, I wonder if Jeremy's with Jeremy, feel free to go. Oh, Jeremy left, of course. All right. Anywho. Um, yeah, to answer the actual question, um, obviously I know, I know we're both on the same page on this. I, I don't think they should trade Randall. I don't, I, it's far too late in the season to tank and Randall is, is far too good to trade. Um, uh, but as far as the, the, um, the, the Randall potentially getting injured front, I don't know. Again, if it's like, if some team is like particularly interested in Austin Rivers or for some, for some reason, Alfred Payton, and, and they want to give you like a, I mean, probably Thad Young is, is too good for that kind of trade, but someone in that mold who's just a little worse, like a useful backup power forward. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not going to break my heart, but if, again, like, I, I just think, I, I don't know. I just don't get like, as like, titillated at the idea of like making the first round of the playoffs as most people if Randall gets hurt then you say all right that sucks but you're not the thing is like the the improvement you're going to get from a average NBA backup power forward relative to Obi Toppin that's not changing whether or not you win a first round series it may be maybe it pushes you to sneak into the playoffs if you if you trade for the right guy and RJ really steps up but you're, you're going to get swept with, with no Julius Randall almost regardless of who you play so I I just don't see the point of sinking any kind of money into that. I would I would use it as an opportunity to see what you have in Obi Toppin and decide, oh, you know what? This guy's pretty promising now that he's just getting 30 minutes a night. We should keep him. Or, you know what? This guy's pretty promising. Uh, let, let's trade him. Or, or we think this is the best he's going to play. Um, or you could you could even get more creative and like have RJ play some small ball four or like Reggie Bullock play some small ball four and experiment with some different lineups. I, I would use it as kind of an opportunity to assess the roster. And if you lose a bunch of games in the process and you somehow luck into a top five or six pick, that's that's not the end of the world in my mind. Yeah, the other thing, too, is short of Randall, you know, hurting himself on the, the in the final week of the season or something or or the final few weeks, whatever. You know, if he gets hurt, let's, I mean, knock on wood, but like if he gets, if he gets hurt, like, you know, in the next week or two, we've sort of seen how this goes already before with Porzingis. I mean, the Knicks are going to be bad and they'll be bad enough to probably fall out of even the playoff games at that or the play in games, I should say at that point, and then end up in the lottery anyway. And as we've seen the last few years, it doesn't really matter where you are in the lottery anymore. Like, Teams are jumping up left and right. Uh, if you believe it's rigged, then the Knicks will never jump up. But if you believe it's truly random, we've already seen you know teams jump up from the nine spot. From uh, I think what was the furthest back, the ten spot that the Lakers jumped up from uh, when they got up to four and then were able to trade for Anthony Davis as a result, or at least trade for him easier. So you know, I, as far as the Randall getting hurt thing, to your point too, you know, then you get a chance to try some different things out. And the fact of the matter is, is as long as it's not like a potential career altering injury, like an Achilles or something like that, then you've already shown that you can be a good team with him as your top guy. So I think that would be appealing to uh, free agents and stuff regardless. And my my other point is, I don't think there's any wrong time to turn the corner. Um, Free agents are going to react just the same to if the Knicks had one good season this year versus if they have two good seasons going into next year. Uh, you know, so if your ultimate goal is to lure good free agents here, then cool. If your goal is to build through the draft, maybe it's not ideal, but we're looking at a pretty deep draft. And if the team is good enough with all these young players they have already to make the playoffs, I don't know what the, it, you know, I can understand wanting the top player in the draft because obviously everybody wants Kate Cunningham, but it, you don't necessarily need him. You know what I mean? Like there is going to be avenues for you to make your team better 
down the line, if you're chock full of young talent, that's good enough to get you to the playoffs uh, in, you know, in a relatively early year in your rebuild. So I, uh, yeah, that's sort of my answer to the question. I, I don't have any problem with how things have gone um, this year or anything like that. All right, and we will be back for our final segment of this illustrious, amazing first Fan Friday back. Uh, but first, get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. You might even hear about Sharif Cooper, who we talked about in this episode. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credential draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. And now we get into our final part of our Fan Friday discussion. I think we can move to our next speaker request here. Uh, Joseph Raimondi got back in again, but I'm going to, since he's been up already, I'm going to get David Futternick up here. And then Joseph, we'll close on you. I'm going to say that's the last speaker request uh, just because we're, Running a little long, again, we're going to get yelled at by the Locked On bosses 100% for this episode. But David Futternick, you are live. What's up, gentlemen? What's up, hey. man? What's up, David? Nice, nice, nice to talk to you after years of uh, mutual mutual Twitter following. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, welcome to Locker Room, boys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah. It's, it, it only took us like half an hour to get this running at first, but we made it. You know, <laughs> it's like it's a whole ordeal. I don't know if you guys are doing it like with a mic and all that on your desktop, but it's like they have to make it easier. That's what I attempted to do, and I think that was what was nuking our rooms at first. Uh, yeah, yeah. they need to, to do it on the phone. They need to streamline that. Um, but my question is, for me, um, I mean, I, you guys covered a lot of what I think is on everyone's mind. But for, for me, biggest question mark is like, wh- what do you, what do we do with Mitch, man? Cause like he, he hasn't taken certainly on offense. He hasn't maybe taken um, the step forward that we were maybe promised by his, like <laughs> his, his, his Instagram videos of him shooting jumpers or, you know, you know, whatever, like off season video content we got from him. But um, I, I just, uh, you know, obviously we have like the team option next year. And I'm curious to hear what you two feel like you would like to to do with him and, and your thoughts on his his future with the team. Uh, I could I could take it first. I mean, we we did a, a pretty long pod with uh, Jeremy back in the offseason about this after he wrote a long article about Mitch. And I feel like. I don't know how much my mind has changed since then. I maybe would have to go back and like listen to that. We also did one with Terry at one point. It was actually, it came up like organically with like four different guests in the same week uh, that we just wound up on the Mitch discussion again, because it was like a very hot topic for a while. But you know, when we were talking to Terry of NYK, Terry and Trey, it was like, if Noel can give you like 80% of Mitch, do you want to just roll with Noel going forward and maybe try to trade Mitch when his values at its highest um, with Jeremy, it was sort of like, how much money do you, do you think he's worth? And like, do you want to, you know, tie your cap space up in him as soon as this off season, um, which is probably when they'll have to do it. Uh, cause it, it, he becomes a restricted free agent if they decline his option this year, uh, or he becomes an unrestricted free agent if they pick up his fourth year option, which uh, is not a good recipe because his agent would be mad about you know, the Knicks essentially saying, yeah, we're only going to pay you one and a half million dollars for one more year. 
right. whatever not, whatever it, agent it, that is that he's yeah agent number 40 you know would be very upset he'd be like i've been with mitch for 20 minutes and i've never been treated this badly before <laughs> um but at any rate uh you know so the, and then it i guess it comes down to how much he's going to cost in free agency as well you know if they let him hit restricted free agency hopefully they they take the reins as far as negotiating a new contract rather than letting him sort of set his own market. Cause I think that's always a dangerous place to be uh, as a, a team with matching rights is to say, yeah, go find, go find your favorite offer. Like I would much rather just sit down at the negotiating table and say, let's, let's figure this out amongst ourselves first. If we can't agree on a number, then maybe go look for a contract, but let's see if we can come up with something that's like not egregious here, but still pays you lucratively. Um, I guess that's not really how agency works and, and how, you know, players like to make money for themselves and get the most out of themselves, but whatever. Anyway, I, I go back and forth, you know, cause statistically, you know, he's, if you just look at like counting stats and stuff, it's not like he's really doing too much more, but I think I test wise, he's doing so much more this year as far as really anchoring the Knicks defense when he's out there. And I think oh, he's gotten sure. quite yeah, I think he's gotten quite a bit stronger, which I didn't really think was going to be possible. But we even sort of like I think people were joking at the beginning of the season, like, "Oh, Mitch looks a little chonky this year. Like he's he looks like he put on some weight." But it's been good functional weight so far, and his his defensive ability is just second to none. So yeah, and he sorted out like the foul trouble situation like exactly way that. faster than I expected he would. Yeah, and you know. It, he sort of showed it at the beginning of the year, but then solved it way faster than he did in any of the previous years. So, yeah, I, I don't even know if I have a definitive answer for you. Like, cause it's, it's, tough, it's so right? hard for me. Yeah. It's a tough decision. And the reality is, is they literally have to decide by next week. Um, cause if you don't trade him at this trade deadline, I mean, I will say this much, he'll be a very tradable contract. Even if he's making $17 million a year or something like that, you could pretty easily sell his production to any team around the league for $17 million a year, particularly as a finishing piece. You know, if it's a team that's just really in dire need of a, a rim protector that's willing to give up something for him and is already capped out, then like they won't care. It's, you know, just getting guys is a luxury at that point. Cap space is not a luxury that they have anymore. Um, so he'd be very appealing to teams like that. I think I, uh, I, I do think though, I, I'd probably want to keep him. I, I, I like Mitch. I like what he brings to the defense. I think he's a very key part of what has made the Knicks defense as good as it's been this year, even though they've been so good without him too. Um, I think there's just a certain level that they're at with him out there that they're not without him on the team. Um, so I, my inclination is to keep him, pay him what, what he deserves this summer and go from there. But uh, Gavin, do you have any thoughts as far as Mitch is concerned? Any evolved thoughts, I guess, since this season's coming? Yeah, I think... I it, it was initially it was hard to divorce like what the Knicks were doing defensively from Mitch and I was saying like all right obviously you got to give Tibbs credit you got Julius credit for being in better better shape RJ clearly took a step forward on that end the bench guys were I mean I mean there was I mean clearly they built they built the culture around defense all their stylistic inclinations are towards defense even if it even if it hurts the offense a little bit but I, I thought the centerpiece of everything was the fact that Mitchell Robinson I mean to your point David like the not fouling out is like it sounds like a small thing but it's it's everything not just in terms of his ability to stay on the court but his ability because of that increased discipline to contest more shots and to not have to play in fear when he has three or four fouls and turn stuff out like he he's found a way to like 
channel that where he can he can play at like 98% of, of, of his like peak of chasing every shot and trying to contest everything and, and guard man to man without fouling because to Alex's point, he's gotten a lot bigger and stronger. Um, and then, and then he goes out with that injury and then we, we kind of see Noel step in and do on paper, like a lot of the same stuff and the Knicks defensive rating hasn't shifted dramatically, but you dive a little deeper into the numbers and, and the competition has uh, maybe it's evening out now in the second half of the year. The last few games have probably gotten it closer, but the competition wasn't quite what it was um, in, compared to like what the Knicks were playing with Mitch. So I think there might be a little bit of deception in, in the defensive numbers there and, and the rebounding rate on both sides of the floor. Like the Knicks went from having like one of the better rebounding rates offensively and defensively in the league to now, if I'm remembering the numbers correctly off the top of my head, being pretty mediocre in both capacities. And that's that's kind of what you get with a discount version of Mitch. The case I made this offseason is, like, if you're going to pay him the way he presumably wants to be paid, you're, you're essentially making the case that, all right, this guy is not your typical, like, run-and-jump big guy. He's not, like, rich man's Jackson Hayes, who I think Hollinger uh, stupidly in the article said, ah, it's just like a slight... Or maybe maybe this was someone else. I don't want to wrongly blame Hollinger. There's a lot to rightfully blame him for. Um, but um, <laughs> he... It was either him or someone else who said, like, yeah, like, Mitch is, like, Jackson Hayes. Like, not not really a huge difference. Um, or, like, I mean, other people... Like, I've, I've made the Capella comparison before, and I think Capella's really good. Um, but if you're really paying Mitch, you're making the case, like, no, this guy's unique because he can switch on the, the perimeter and, and hold up in a playoff series. And, and we see this every single year. Teams trying to isolate the opposing big and saying, like, we're going to go at you over and over and over again, and we're going to play you off the floor in, in these key minutes. And, and the thing with Mitch is, like, I, I think he's the rare guy who falls into, like, that bam Anthony Davis category where it's like, nope, not an option. You can't do that. With the Knicks defense, where, where they're constantly dropping Mitch and pick and roll, all of a sudden, that's less of an issue. And maybe playoff teams, like, I, I think you'd have to ask, like, a better basketball mind than myself, like, how often this happens. But I think I think the inclination or, or, like, what usually happens in these situations is, like, Utah loves to drop Gobert back, generally. Or, or that's what they've done the past couple of seasons. The Rockets were good enough where they said, all right, we're just going to put five shooters out there. So you can't do that anymore. And if a team does that to the Knicks in the playoffs in, like, a specific matchup, a specific game or situation, you, you want someone, like Mitchell Robinson out there, who you're like, all right, we, we can break that. And, and you can't do that because then he's just going to punish you on the other end. What, what's the price point for a guy like that when you take the offense into account and you say, all right, but I don't he's not he's not doing anything for me other than catching and jamming the ball. The, the only counter argument I have to that is like with with the right lineup around him full of shooting more time for quickly, more time with RJ on the ball, which we, we saw the other night and it looked pretty good. Um, more time with even Derrick Rose relative to Alfred Payton. You, you get just a little bit of shooting in there and, and you put an opposing big guy in a bind where he actually has to step up on the ball handler in a pick and roll. Um, all of a sudden, even if Mitch does not take a step forward in terms of like doing what he does in the videos over the summer, you're going to see a better and more efficient offensive player. So my inclination, like I still lean towards the idea that this guy's special and you, you won't really know his true value until the Knicks are in a playoff series. And I think... I, I think there's some there's some hidden marker there. And hopefully if you're the Knicks, you can leverage that into maybe getting him at a better number than, than perhaps what he's really worth. Yeah. I think that all makes sense. That all makes sense. I just I still I just I have no clue what he's worth. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's where I, I come to, back to. I mean, to that point, I, I went that whole time without saying a number and I can't say a number because I have I have no idea. So in some ways I'm I'm talking out of my ass a little bit. But I guess I guess the case is like 
something. What did what did Capella Capella got something like four for seventy or more? I don't know. I'm gonna look up his contract right now, but yeah, I I would say he's he's worth and, I, I mean, and obviously, the, yeah, and obviously Capella gives you gives you more on offense. So right, or or at um, least or at least he's shown more on offense with like trading. Right. Yeah. Oh well, so right. Capella got five years, ninety million. So. But but to to that point, that's that's where the Knicks have a little leverage. So you can say like, all right, you haven't you haven't done what Clint Capella's done. You might very well be better, but you haven't shown it yet. So we're we're going to give you four for sixty five, like five for seventy five. I, I I I'm not sure what the number comes out to, but something like ten percent less, fifteen percent less than what Clint Capella is making feels feels fair to me. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say I, I would maybe go at, but not exceeding Capella for sure, and, and even getting totally up to that number would start to make my stomach a little uneasy. But, yeah, it's just me. I hear you. Uh, well, appreciate it, boys. Uh, good show. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to more of these on here. Yeah, it should be yeah. every Friday now, Dave. Uh, you want to know? You want to let everybody know where to find you, social media, all your podcasts. You got, like, six <laughs> of them, all that. You can, yeah, my various podcasts. You can uh, listen to me on uh, the Super Hoopers pod more of an NBA comedy podcast um, at the Super Hoopers on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can follow me at David Federnick on, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. All right, cool. Thank you, David. And we are moving to our final request here. Welcoming backup Joseph Raimondi coming right up here. All right, Joseph, what's good? What's you up, guys? It. We made it. Um, final, final guest of the day. What's uh, what has uh, come to your mind over well, this last I'll just God, like hour? <laughs> I'll just say real quick about Mitch. I think, um, I think using Capella as a barometer for what he might get paid is a little is a little off because I think most people view that Capella contract as a mistake, like he got paid too much, and. I I just hope that Mitch's lack of offensive game and, and his uh sort of low counting stats will kind of allow us to retain him for a lot cheaper than, than what most people think. Um, you know, at least I hope, but, um, what came to my mind and it was even before you, you got, you read that Twitter question about the power forward position is, um, you know, not like what would happen if Julius got hurt that like, that's not really what concerns me about power forward. It's, um, how, you know, how do we prevent Julius Randle from getting hurt? I mean, this guy can't keep playing uh, 40 minutes a night on back-to-backs. And in three games and four nights, he's playing 40 minutes each night. And, like, Tibbs can't bring himself to play Obi more than uh, six to eight minutes, and rightfully so. I mean, Obi, like, I mean, he stinks out there. So at some point, like, you got to save Tibbs from himself. Julius Randle's not going to say, hey, play me less minutes. Tibbs is going to play him less minutes because we can't win without him. Like, what's the solution there? Like, how do we spell Julius Randle a little bit so he doesn't have to play so many minutes? Yeah, I think I was I was hinting at it a little bit. I'm, I would like to see more small ball and and not and, and kind of I mean, I know, obviously, like, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it, too. People talk about the OB Randle lineups a lot. The other iteration of that is to say, all right, go bigger at the five and go really small at the four and either have RJ be your four, Bullock be your four. Um, 
You could, I mean, depending on the matchup, you could have Frank guard nominal power forwards for, for some possessions. Like he's, he's strong enough, I think, to, to do that for a little bit. Uh, I think I think there's some interesting options there. The whole thing with Tibbs that you got to remember that that I keep mentioning too. All of his inclinations are, are towards defense, and the Knicks and I, I've I've like seen this. They've been pushing a little bit more the last few games, but in terms of like team tendencies, like you have like like you know like you're you're setting up like a basketball simulator, like either in 2K or online or something, and and you you get to put in like how do you want your team to play? Do you want them to be more offensive? Do you want them to be more defensive? Do you want them to be shooting? Do you want them to be driving? Like Tibbs has all the defensive meters set to 100, and all the offensive meters set to zero. So I think I think the reason why Randall is so integral to him and he he just like he clearly like he gets like nauseous at the idea of taking him off the court is not only what happens to the offense where the offense like unless RJ is really cooking doesn't have a fulcrum but defensively you're saying all right Obi's like obviously he's had good flashes this year of late he's been he's been getting toasted a little bit like you can't really play Obi at, at a key juncture against starters because he's he's going to get exposed you, he doesn't really want to go small at this point because he's like. Like, I like having RJ and Reggie and, like, uh, Frank or whoever else is in to guard perimeter threats. If I'm using one of those guys on a power forward, all of a sudden I have another guard or wing in there who's not necessarily built to to guard uh, one of the leading scorers on the other team. So I think it's an offense for defense trade-off, and he almost make, never makes those types of trade-offs. And Randall this year has been so good offensively that, one, it wouldn't matter if he sucked defensively, at least in terms of playing him. Two, he's been really, really solid on defense and just physically mm-hmm. able to hold up to any matchup. So that's why I think it's it's so anathema to Tibbs to take any to take him out for like any stretch of time. But I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I, I think I think it's a great point, and I I'm a little bit worried about him. I'm a little bit worried about RJ because I mean all this stuff like you, you don't think about it until it happens, right? Like with Clay Thompson. Like, no one was saying, oh, man, they're, they're playing him a lot. Like, oh, he's having to do a lot with Kevin Durant out. Wait, hasn't he just been to five finals in a row? Isn't this – aren't we overdoing this? Like, no, nobody's saying that because you're trying to win a championship. And with Tibbs, his mentality is like, nobody's going to say that if we make the playoffs. Nobody's going to complain that I played Julius Randle 40 minutes in a row. And he's right until that injury happens. So I think it's a key point. And it's probably something where we're a little guilty. Like, I know early in the season when the Knicks, like, weren't doing quite as well, I was, I was talking about it more, and then they start winning, and then everyone's like, all right. Um, the ends justify the means, but only only if that injury doesn't happen, and you can't know that. So it makes sense to be precautious when when you don't know what the end result's going to be. But Alex, I'll throw it over to you to finish up. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to say I'm not too concerned about the minute load because, like I was noting before, you know, I I think Randall is somehow getting better as the season's gone on, as far as his conditioning goes, and not getting tired down the stretch of games and not letting, you know, a high minute load affect his performance on the court. And if it's not affecting his performance on the court and he's in great condition and he doesn't play a particularly vertical brand of basketball, you know, that would make him more susceptible to injuries. I I don't have a huge problem with it. I mean, if you look around, like, so I I just pulled up the minutes per games leaders this year. James Harden is number one at 38 minutes per game. And, of course, there's been talk for years about Harden with how D'Antoni coached him of, you know, if, if Harden's playing, you know, that many minutes per game during the regular season and then hits the playoffs, you know, maybe that's why he always burns out in the playoffs. Maybe that's true. Um, you know, it's it's possible. But I, I think that you could argue that this year the Knicks' playoff plans at best are to lose in the first round to somebody. And so if Randall's a little burnt out for that and they ultimately lose in the first round of the playoffs, I, I'm not – going to be heartbroken because that just proves they need more talent 
And at some point, you know, in the future when they have more talent, Tibbs will play Randall a little less. I mean, I honestly, I really think if if Obi was playing better than he has been, then Randall would be playing less minutes. He'd probably be playing more like 34 or so. Um, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That That's kind of my point. Like, Obi's just not – he's not getting it done. And I, I just – I worry about Renault. That's a big body for all those minutes. I mean – Well, let me read hmm. Let me read off a few more of the other guys, right, that are near the top. Like, Demonis Sabonis, 36 and a half minutes per game, just down .3 minutes from Randall. He's number four in the league. You have Jeremy Grant, who's like a wing slash big, 35.8, so only a minute less per game than Julius Randle. Nikola Jokic, 35.7 minutes per game. And, I mean, you want to talk about a guy that people used to rag on for his conditioning. Now he's playing, you know, just a minute under what Julius Randle's playing per game. Siakam, 35.7. Uh, uh, most of the rest are guards at that point. But, like, there are bigs out there, particularly ones that play similar roles to the role that Randle plays as, like, a facilitator for the team who's not particularly particularly bouncy, you know, again, like Siakam, Jokic, uh, Jeremy Grant, you can't really say that about, but Sabonis, you know, those three guys are, they're pretty ground bound, you know, but they're, they're distributing, they're in the trenches, they're getting rebounds, stuff like that. But ultimately, you know, we're talking about the difference from second most played minutes in the, in the league versus uh, 11th, or actually you go all the way down to 12th, which is where they've slated uh, Jason Tatum here is a difference of a whole whopping 1.1 minutes per game. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, and then when you get down to 20 for Kyle Lowry, uh, who's occupying the 20th most minutes per game, he's at 34.7. So you're talking about a difference of 2.1 minutes. Um, I, I think it's, I, I think that a lot should be made of how many minutes guys play, depending on how the guys play. Like Derek Rose was always kind of a ticking time bomb for an injury, which is the the guy that people go to the most, I think, in regards to Tibbs and his coaching style and his minute allotment to say, you know, this leads to injuries. And there's definitely some studies out there that say, you know, hey, like uh, playing more minutes can lead to injuries um, or more often than not playing more, you know, because it puts more uh, wear and tear on your, your joints and everything for the year and, blah, 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 and, and put you in this position where, you know, one bad step is, you know, there's, there's less margin for error for that, like, bad step that ultimately, uh, you know, gives you an injury that, you know, either takes you out for the season or, or sprains your knee for a few weeks or whatever the case may be. I just, I think that there are certain guys that are more susceptible to that than others. Rose would be one of them because, I mean, he was jumping out of the gym 15 times per game there's been like biomechanics experts that looked at him from early in his career and said, I mean, you know, one of the main reasons that his knees got so screwed up was that he was taking off wrong. He was landing wrong. Like he just never had like a, a biomechanics person to, you know, work with him and tell him like, no, you should land on two feet, you know, don't land on one foot with all of your weight on it, you know, and put all that strain on your knee every time and all this stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said for that. Whereas Randall, we see him dunk, what, every two games, three games, you know, and usually it's just a quick little breakaway, which, you know, guys have injured themselves on breakaway dunks before, but it's usually more of a freak thing. So it doesn't worry me too much, I guess, is my uh, my 
overall point here. And I do think that he has Tibbs has shown some restraint as far as like RJ's concerned in that he's, I mean, RJ now is not in the top 20 minutes getters anymore when he and Randall were occupying like the second and like fifth spot or whatever early in the season together for a number of weeks. So, you know, maybe that's showing progress too. Cause back in his last stop with the, the Timberwolves, you had like cat, Butler and Wiggins were all within the top 10 uh, and, and maybe even within like the top eight or so of minutes getters. So I, I think he's shown some progress, even if he needs to lighten up a little bit with the rigid 10 man rotation thing. But other than that, I, I haven't been too disappointed with how things have gone as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I, I, I think the only, the only small counter is like the end of that Philly game where we, and and to your, I mean, it was kind of a unique situation with the back to back, but we we did kind of see Randall fatigue down the stretch. I think that was part of what made that Orlando performance so good the other day. Is like you could tell in terms of scoring, like against the defense that Randall just should have wrecked scoring the basketball. And part of it was like I think a lot of it was just how Orlando was playing him, and they're throwing two or three guys at him, and that's that's why you saw him have seventeen assists. I I felt like he was lacking a little bit of explosiveness. Like maybe I I I'm not totally convinced that there's no risk. I, only because, like, it's one thing if you're going to keep playing him 36 minutes a game every night. It just seems like he's on an upwards trajectory. But but to your point, Alex, like, I, I won't pretend to, like, understand the science behind it fully other than that there could there could be a correlation there. But I know there's there's a lot of debate on that. I think I would just – I would pare it down a little bit. And I, I, I think as long as he stays at his current – average i'm fine with it but if you're seeing him like consistently get over 40 that's that's when i would get a little concerned yeah i think i would be in agreement there too 40 seems to be the true threshold of like you know once you get over 40 minutes like you're you might be in trouble um as far as that's concerned but uh joseph do you have any any final uh parting shots before we get going we've now gone it, adjusting for time it takes me to get my get my crap together i think we've now gone about an hour and a half so we're, we're gonna log off and probably turn this into like a two or three part podcast at this point <laughs> um no that that's i mean that that's fair enough i i did i personally felt that randall looked a little tired um i thought his legs didn't really look under him on his jump shots in that orlando game um but, you know, I mean, that was a unique situation. Hopefully that doesn't happen again with three games and four nights and playing 40 minutes each night. Um, so, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, do you want to remind everybody right one now. more time where to, where to find you on social media and all that? Um, no, that's not really important. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Joseph. And we will uh, – someone's ringing my doorbell. So li- live look into Alex's life. So thank you so much for popping on. And thank you all for coming on. This is awesome. Gavin, I, I, I don't know about you, but I was very satisfied with how everything went. Yeah, this yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, I just want to – I know, I know we, we, we lost some folks along the way, but I want to I thank everyone for participating. Uh, I don't know if I would, would want to spend this much time with myself, so I, I'm, really, I'm really glad you guys do. Really, really, really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, be doing this, uh, we'll be doing this every week. So we hope, we hope you all come back. All right. Uh, 
whoever is at my door is very desperate to talk to me right now. So uh, thank you all for coming. It's, 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 and, uh, it's Bondi coming back around to, to congrats. I guess. Yeah. He decided to show up in person this time. Yeah. So he, he, he said, you know, man, I felt weird asking the question on air. Let me just come to you. <laughs> all right. Uh, so thank you all for coming on. We will again, talk to you all next week. Till next time, no peace out. Love you guys. And uh, thanks for spending this, this hour and a half with us. All right, guys, that is it for this edition of Fan Friday. If you missed it, we put out a part one on Saturday. And once again, we will, um, barring any kind of emergency, be doing this once a week on the Locker Room app. Uh, We're still figuring out whether we're going to do it Friday every time or Thursday. So if you're not already, and I I can't believe you're listening, if you're not, follow Locked on Knicks on Twitter where we will provide updates. and, And we'll certainly make a note of it on the episode if you detest us detest Twitter, or just detest us on Twitter. Until next time, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and this was Locked on Nick.